Welcome to the Art Life Faith Podcast. This is a show where we talk about art, what it has to do with your life, and what it has to do with the Christian faith. And I'm your host, Roger Lowther. Today we are on a bit of a field trip. We are on a walkabout to the city of Nagoya. And we're coming to you live from the Aichi Geijutsu Bunka Center, or the Art and Culture Center in downtown Nagoya, which is a beautiful complex that has a a big concert hall with a nice organ. And it has an art museum and also has a bunch of gallery spaces. And we are sitting here in Gallery Space X, where there is a exhibit going on for to remember the time 10 years ago when the earthquake and tsunami struck the country of Japan. Now this month of March, across the nation of Japan, there are so many things happening to remember that time and to remember the restoration that has come since then. I mean, there's still a long way to go, but there's a lot of rebuilding that's been happening over these past 10 years, and we want to celebrate that. For example, this Sunday, I'm going to be meeting with people in a Zoom meeting across the nation of Japan of those who are involved in the relief movement. These are people who are still up in the disaster area and some are down in southern parts of Japan, in Tokyo. And we're going to be sharing stories of what's been happening these past 10 years and how we've seen things get better. We're also going to have a big conference. Our Aroma of Beauty conference is coming up in the week after that, where we have a number of people speaking. For example, the, the opening talk is by Kinski master Nakamura-sensei. He is a Kinski artist who mends ceramics together And he went off to the disaster area after the earthquake in order to help people rebuild their lives by rebuilding things that were really precious to them, things that were broken. So rather than throwing it out to, you know, and buying something new, to save those precious memories and to fix them. And so he traveled through the disaster area, through various shelters and then temporary home complexes and helped people rebuild their lives a piece at a time. We're also having a man come who made the tsunami violin from the debris that was left everywhere. He realized that these were memories. These represented people's lives. It was not just debris. And so from it, he built a violin. And this violin has been traveling the nation of Japan for, it will have gone through a thousand concerts in order to bring the nation together. And we're fortunate to be one of those 1,000 official concerts happening. One of our team members, Christina Davison, is going to be playing an amazing program with pieces that remind us from that time. We're also going to have Daisuke Yokoyama come and sing. He's a man that I met in a shelter (laughs) in the disaster area. After the earthquake happened, he made it his job to travel around to one shelter after another, and sing songs that he wrote, and to bring hope from from place to place to place, and to bring people together. We're also going to have an art gallery and showcasing different things that have been coming out over the years. It's going to be an amazing concert just to see the aroma of beauty and to remember that, the beauty during such dark times. On March 11th, on the day, I'm going to make my two books, Aroma of Beauty and Pippi the Piano, free for download from Amazon. Um, So please pick up a copy. I'm just really excited for people to, especially during these COVID-19 times where there's so much pain in the world and so much loss, 
to remember 10 years ago how through that time, through that dark time, where we found hope and how healing came through it. And so I hope that these two books will be an encouragement to many. Well, now returning to Nagoya, Japan, I'm sitting next to my friend here, Peter Bakelar, who is the artist, most of the work here he exhibited, although he has collaborated with some other people and he has put this together. And Peter, I want to welcome you to the podcast. Yeah, thank you very much. Yeah, it's great. I just, I mean, first I walked through the room and took in each piece one by one, and then you were kind enough to kind of talk me through the thought process behind each one. And a number of them really stood out to me. Um, like, for example, the one I'm pointing to over there, you put two pictures next to each other. One is of a tunnel, and one is of a tent. And they are exactly the same shape. Can you tell me about that work? Yeah, the, the, uh, the pictures are exhibited on the same piece of paper, and the right side is of a tunnel with the light in an oval, uh, a half circle, of course, and a truck that's leading into the light. And I remember a quote that one of the men said who uh, experienced the earthquake and tsunami. He felt like he was entering a dark tunnel. And of course, the English phrase we talk about with having <clears throat> hope is that you know we need to see the light at the end of the tunnel. And the light at the end of the, end of the tunnel in the right side of the picture actually mimics the exact arc and light of the inside of a tent where a bunch of volunteers have gathered to plan relief efforts. And so by putting those two pictures together, I thought they were an excellent complementary uh, relationship of what became the light at the end of the tunnel, in a sense, was the volunteers who gave of their time, gave of their energy to travel to the tsunami-affected area and help rebuild, help deal with the, the pain, the suffering, and to bring hope, to bring uh, healing, and to just share the love of God with those who really are at a great time of need. Yeah, I was amazed when looking at that picture, how I spent a lot of time in tents like that. And um, it's interesting how they were very well lit inside, even though they had such a thick cloth, no sunlight could get through it, because they were filled with all those... Um, you know, like, I don't know what you call them, industrial, like construction lights, you know, <laughs> so it's always like too bright. And so to see the pictures next to each other, one of the really, the brightness inside the tunnel of the tent, and the darkness inside the tunnel that you drive in, the light at the end of the tunnel was happening. We were bringing, <laughs> the relief workers were bringing light into the tunnel, mm. into those dark times. So yeah. that really struck me. Well, let me back up here. So the title of this exhibit is called Scars, The Path Toward Healing. Can you tell me just a little bit about this, this exhibit and your thought process going into it? Yeah, the, the title came from the fact of just recognizing that with any great trauma, which we all experience, there, there's, there's an aftermark. There's a, a remaining uh, wound that heals. So if something scars, it actually is a good sign in that it's showing that the wound is healing, but it does leave a mark. And Japan was greatly uh, wounded during the tsunami 
and earthquake and nuclear meltdown. And so to acknowledge that, but also point to the fact that in the wound, as it heals, it's going to leave a scar, but that, that the scar points to healing. So scars, the path toward healing, was the theme, is the theme of this exhibition, and it's how I kind of curated the pictures that I chose to exhibit here, because each picture is not so much showing the wound as much as showing the healing that is taking place both very soon after the earthquake happened and 10 years later. Yeah, let me interrupt you. with I'm just looking at the front of this flyer that you have here on the table, and the scar is made of gold, <laughs> like, yeah. like Kinski, right? Exactly. Um, that kind of healing, we, there's healing that comes through actually exhibiting our scars and really how, realizing how they're redeemed through that. Exactly. And there's so many different ways I see that in, in this exhibit. If you were here and you could see it as I'm looking at it right now, you'd see black and white pictures and then you'd see full color pictures. All the black and white pictures represent the past, represent uh, three weeks after the tsunami, one year after the tsunami, and then the color pictures represent the pictures that I took going back to those same places the beginning of this year in January and looking for areas and looking for signs of healing, signs where, where I had been before, how has it changed, how has it healed, what, what ways has hope been brought to those areas. I'm looking at one right now of a, a boy handing a folded crane to me. Uh, and of course, I'm behind the camera, so you, you, you can just see him motioning toward me with this uh, folded crane. And it, it just touched my heart because uh, so soon after the tsunami, after everything had been destroyed, and there were so many needs for water, food, and, and uh, gasoline and everything, here was a young boy who had just gone through a terrible trauma, and he was offering me something from himself. It wasn't, what can I get? but he wanted to give me something. And I just still feel moved when I think about that because he wanted to share something of himself with me when I had come to bring stuff and our, our team had come to bring things to help them. And so that act of giving and this picture, I feel really conveys healing. It really conveys a message of hope because even in the worst of times, people want to give of themselves. And that, mm. that really touched my heart. Yeah, that's beautiful. And one of these, the picture right there is of a group of musicians who are giving of themselves by playing music, exactly. right? Exactly. They're walking, marching down a, looks like a canal. Um, tell me a little bit about that picture. Yeah, that, that picture, again, is, is one of my favorites. And it's, it kind of happened all by accident in the sense that we had just stopped uh, for a break and all of a sudden in the distance was this group of young men and women and a child with a little drum and they were playing jazz music through the rubble 
And so I, I grabbed my camera and ran through the rubble just to get as close as I could just to record this because they were playing music to bring joy in this very uh, discouraging context, in this very discouraging uh, situation. And it reminded me of the scripture, a joyful heart is good medicine, but a broken spirit dries up the bones. And in a sense, they were in an area of broken spirits and broken rubble. And so they were bringing a message of joy that was good medicine. And so I took the picture and then again, I went back to that same area this past January to see how it had changed and I could not even find the area without help from talking with locals because the area has changed so much from the original picture. So much healing has taken place, so much construction has been uh, accomplished in that area that it doesn't, it doesn't look the same anymore. And in a sense, it has healed. And so you have this contrast of what happened 10 years ago with the band and now the fulfillment of their message of hope through jazz music to see the new area. Uh, it was just a, a, a very uh, encouraging uh, experience for me to see yeah, that. What struck me too is how like here we are in this building, a nice clean building, has a nice concert hall. And in my image, especially as a classical musician, is like in nice clean <laughs> concert <laughs> halls. And here they are, these musicians, they, I, I love the boots they're wearing, these like <laughs> rubber boots, they're walking through the mud and you're bringing this beautiful music into that environment. This is great. Uh, there was another picture over there that really struck me how you took a, a, a picture of the a huge boat <laughs> that was sitting <laughs> in the middle of the town. Yeah. And then you went back this January and took another picture where the boat isn't there anymore. And you kind of superimposed the two on each other. And you were telling me the story of how mm. it's like the people who are walking here now, do they realize there used to be a huge <laughs> boat right there? And exactly. the kind of the memory that the land holds, um, but that we don't always see that memory and how you're able to capture that in the picture. I appreciate that. The, the, the title of that picture is called Remembrance. And uh, it's, it is exactly that, that as times change, as uh, we move on and reconstruction takes place, we tend to forget what the area looked like before. Okay, so we're at the 10-year point. So every nine-year-old or, you know, people who were not born during this whole catastrophe are able now to experience it and understand better the scenes that they're seeing now that they didn't understand what caused it, what, was, what did it look like, what was it about. And so through, through visual art, there's an opportunity then to educate our children and say, well, this is why the community is like it is right now, and this is what it looked like before, to help them kind of make sense of their present reality. Yeah, humans, we don't, 10 years seems, it seems like a long time, and it seems like a very short time. <laughs> like in my mind, it seems like it was just yesterday this disaster happened, and yet 10 years, here are those children who were born afterwards. Right. And even my own, my youngest son was born after the earthquake, and has no recollection of it all. Uh, we were 
looking at those pictures here now, look across the room here, uh, where you're pretty close to the nuclear power plants. <laughs> <laughs> and you told me how you called your wife. You said, is this even safe? Like, am I supposed to be here? Um, but what I was struck how there's a, apparently a bunch of artists took, uh, I, I assume they had permission to do this, yes. <laughs> but to make a bunch of murals on buildings yeah. and walls. And yeah, tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, there, there, there's two experiences in what Roger's talking about at this point. One, one is that uh, in Fukushima especially, they have these uh, radioactive monitors that kind of tell you the, the amount of sieverts of radiation that is in the air or in the soil. And uh, so by looking at the, these, these monitors and seeing the number rise and fall sometimes, I'm like, you know, is this really where I should be at this moment. So I got on the internet and I checked it out and I, I was telling Roger that I read articles that said, yes, this, this is a very safe area. Um, this is the amount of radiation that Roger would, would experience in Tokyo on a daily basis. And then another article would say, no, you need to get out of Japan right now. This is very unsafe. Um, there's no safe place in Japan and especially in Fukushima. And so this contrast of trying to figure out what is true. Both were speaking as if they were the experts and they were telling the truth. And since this exhibition is about the path toward healing, I recognized and understood that sometimes not knowing the truth, not being able to discern what is the truth is sometimes a barrier toward our healing. And so it was very hard for me to feel secure not really understanding what was the truth in that context. But the murals that we're talking about uh, that Roger mentioned happened in an area called Futaba. And that was one of the communities that just recently opened up in Fukushima. And a group of artists uh, from Tokyo actually came down to Futaba and they painted murals on some of the buildings that were uh, abandoned. And they're, they're beautiful, beautiful, colorful murals of uh, a woman's face, uh, a young child uh, with a crayon painting a, a leaf, and uh, different, different scenes that really inspire uh, hope and, and joy. And that artist, artistic, creative expression in that context has really enliven the community. They're, they're still suffering. There's still areas where you cannot go and people who don't feel safe returning to their home. But that expression of artistic beauty was something that really engaged people and, and, and encouraged them, made them smile, made them want to bring their friends to see it. And so, in a sense, through the artist's brush, it brought hope and it brought healing. And it's something that that community desperately needs. And art was one of the ways that could really, in a transcendent way, bring out that emotion that, you know, the train station is open now, but they identify more with the creative expression of the beauty of the artist's depiction to lift their emotions. Mm -hmm. Yeah, bringing art, beauty into that place. It's interesting too in that picture, you can see the train station is completely new. <laughs> and it's like surrounded by still this devastation in a sense, like old buildings that are abandoned and some vacant lots. And 
the contrast. There's definitely a long way to go. A long but, way to go. But yeah, that connection too of Tokyo artists coming up there and, and the Futaba community welcoming them up and kind of building the connection. Uh, right now, as we're talking, you can probably hear them in the background. There's a, a lively group of women who are adding to a scarf. Yes. <laughs> and this scarf is no ordinary scarf. <laughs> this is a <laughs> 200-foot scarf and getting longer by the minute from what I can tell over there. And uh, this scarf was started as a direct response to the to the earthquake as a way to kind of knit people's hopes and prayers into uh, something tangible that could be sent. And then Shannon Johnston, who is the artist who designed the scarf, came to Japan a year after the earthquake. And we traveled through the, the disaster area to various temporary home complexes and <laughs> gave concerts. And she set up the scarf and people would add to it each time. And it's been neat how since then it's traveled around the world to the, the hurricane that hit the New England area, Hurricane Sandy, and then the wildfires that hit Australia, then the scarf went there. And it was just a way to like connect people who've been through some really hard times. And now we're in the, in the midst of COVID <laughs> crisis, you know, this global pandemic. And people are adding the scarf even now, I, making pieces and they sent it to Shannon and she added to it. And now it's back in Japan, and here it's sitting in your exhibit and being added to by these women. And I know next week it's going to be <laughs> traveling to Tokyo, and so yeah, for conference up be, there. it's going to be hard to let it go. <laughs> <laughs> it is beautiful the way you've hung it around the room. Man, this thing is long. I wish you all could see it. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's just so cool how art has that ability to connect people, isn't it? Yes. The biggest piece of all that we're looking at is a, a wood structure, <laughs> huge wooden panels, taller than me, with a big scar in the middle. And we, we started by talking about what this exhibit was about, scars, the path toward healing. And in a sense, this, this piece kind of summarizes that theme in a lot of ways. Yeah. Uh, do you want to explain it? Yes, I'd like to. It's, uh, the title of the piece is called 19,000 and uh, it's it's a very solemn piece although uh, it's five layers of wood that have been separated but yet connected by four dowels at each corner so that there there's space in between where I've put lights to light up the inside and to kind of in a sense light up the the scar that and the first panel is very, is a, a large cut, but at each consecutive panel, it begins to narrow until the final panel, it's just a small sliver of gold. So it, it does echo what Roger was talking about earlier about the kintsugi and the healing process. But what to me is the most significant part of the whole piece is that the reason it's called 19 thousand is that that's the number of people who died or went missing during the uh, triple disaster, the 311 triple disaster. And so at the end of this piece, it's a participatory piece. I'm inviting people who come to the exhibition to insert pins into the front panel of the wood and that each pin represents one life that was lost during 
3.11. And so in the end, um, there'll be 19,000 pins inserted on the front of this board. And I feel it's important to remember that 19,000 is not just a number. Sometimes it can just sound, oh, it's hard to wrap your mind around it if you just think 19,000. But if you can understand and see and kind of experience and actually participate in the number of individuals that were affected by this, the number of individuals that were, that, that, that died through this, that suffered through this, or went missing, each pin is, is that kind of visual reminder that this number is 19,000 individuals. Mm -hmm. So, uh, I mean, I think one of the things about a, a piece like this is it, by involving the people who come through, it's like we want to do something. And when I put my pin in, I was, you know, you're remembering, remembering people. This, this, mm. this pin represents somebody. And it's like, it feels like I'm symbolically doing something. I'm remembering them. Yes. And that, that's important. But yes. also the way that you, so the front panel has a pretty big, scar in it you know, a hole in it a cut in it and as each panel goes back that cut gets smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller and you were explaining to me how it's like uh, over time healing does come that the the open gaping wound <laughs> becomes a scar and it's not there people are never forgotten um, that loss is always there but but they're remembered and remember for the beauty of who they were you yeah. know yeah, it's, this is a beautiful exhibit. I, I'm really happy to, <laughs> to have been able to come down and, and see it. Thank you for all your work putting this together. Well, thank you. Thank you for being uh, a part of this podcast and, and being able to not only share my heart visually, but to, to actually be able to talk about it. And uh, an exhibit like this, usually I lose my voice because <laughs> I'm talking to so many people. But... It's really nice to be able to share it with those who can't actually come to the exhibition. I hope maybe somehow Roger will be able to share some of the visuals with you uh, yeah, some I'll definitely. way. <laughs> I can put them up uh, on the website. Uh, you'll be able to, in the show notes, you'll be able to look at the pictures That'd and some great. from the show. But yeah, thank you, Peter. Well, thank you we'll, so much. We'll, we'll stop there. But thank you all for listening. This is Roger Lather, and you've been listening to the Art Life Faith Podcast. Ja, matane. We'll see you next time. <laughs> well, Peter and I had a really great time making this podcast, and the people in the gallery really enjoyed it too. We were sitting by the front entrance wearing masks, of course, and it looked like some radio program was being broadcast from the space, so it was pretty exciting. I'm so thankful that y'all were able to listen in and be part of it from wherever you are. Thank you for remembering Japan with us during the month of March. 3-11 is a very important day here, as important as 9-11 in the U.S. Everyone who lived through the earthquake will never forget it for the rest of their lives. And so this 10th anniversary is really important to be able to continue our process of healing. I want to reiterate that the ebook versions of my two books about 3-11, Aroma of Beauty and Pippi the Piano and the Very Big Wave, are available for free from Amazon on March 10 and March 11. They're available in both English and Japanese, so please make sure you pick up this gift. 
even if you can't read Japanese, why don't you go ahead and download the Japanese copy as well? Who knows, maybe you might be able to show it to some of your Japanese friends later. We want to share more and more of these stories from Japan of how hope can come out of some really dark times. I'll put the links to the downloads of these books in the show notes, which you can find on our website, rogerwlowther.com. God bless you. Mm-hmm.